This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ein, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavoy, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavoy. This week, I'd like to continue with the next chief rabbi of the Edar Sfaradit, the Rishon Litzion, Harav Yitzhak Nisim. Rav Yitzhak Nisim was born in Baghdad on Hanukkah in 1895. His father was known as a Tamid Chacham, but a person who was involved in business. Rav Nisim learned in his youth in Baghdad and attained a great reputation as a big Tamid Chacham, but he did not go into Rabbanus at all. He also was involved in business. He began to write Torah articles in journals that appeared at that time, and he also responded to other people's articles that appeared in these Torah journals. His fame spread because of his Torah articles, and we find him dealing with the greatest gedolim of that time, and we write in their letters how they recognized the greatness of Rav Nisim. For example, there's a letter written in Tafresh Pei Dalid from the Chafetz Chaim himself to Rav Nisim, well, where he calls him Harav HaMo'or HaGadol, Eidav LeGonol Teferes, Yireh LeKim Be'emet, etc., etc. He re- responds to the fact that Rav Nisim sent him some of his Torah writings, and of course the Chavetz Chaim praised the writings very much. The Chavetz Chaim was not in the custom of giving Haskamos to Janu Tisvarim, but he wrote him a, a letter that of of praise for the work that he's done. We also find Rav Nisim in correspondence with the with Rav Cook, uh, with Rav Tzipesach Frank, with Rav Uziel. 1924 or so, 1925 perhaps, Rav uh, Nisim came to Israel on what we would call today a pilot trip to see how he could settle in Eretz Israel. And he went back to Baghdad, continued his learning, continued his work, but he did come on Aliyah a year later, in 1926. People wrote about him that he was among those people that although they dedicated most of their time to learning Torah in secret, in their own house, because of their modesty, nevertheless they were known as great Gedolei Tamni Chachamim. He wrote various articles that printed some uh, work on Hilchos Eidos, and then he published his sefer Yein Hatov. Yein Hatov, one volume of his was printed by Rav Nisim himself, and he sent copies of it to various gedolim who dealt with issues that were found in Yein Hatov. In 1956, he was appointed chief rabbi. Of the of Israel, the Rishon LeZion. I'm not an expert historian, 
But I know of no other case where a person was chosen to be a chief rabbi without ever having been in Rabbanus beforehand. He became, of course, the Av Bezdin. He became the Chacham Rishon Litzion without credentials as being a Rav in other communities. His fame as a Torah scholar, as I said, was well known. And somehow on that fame itself, he was appointed to be the chief chief rabbi. He was known, of course, for his attempt to deal with various types of people, to weld the community together, irrespective of their personalities, their religious differences. And he was a, a chief rabbi of the people. He took very strong positions on certain things, and some of them are, in fact, historic. One of the famous incidents that occurred with Rav Nisim was when the Pope decided to come to Israel. He went to Megiddo, and of course it was somewhat expected that the chief rabbis would visit the Pope and show their respect for the leader of Catholicism. Rav Nisim felt that in order to show a mutual respect, the Pope should visit him in Jerusalem. When it seemed that the Pope was not so inclined, and just it was expected for him, for Rav Nisim, to travel to Megiddo, the Rav Nisim refused, and of course there was big public debate and a lot of furor about it, but Rav Nisim stood by, stood by his principles and did not go to see the Pope. In the papers they wrote that this was the historic event for Catholicism when the Pope came to visit Israel. In Haaretz, an article appeared in an editorial which said that it was true that it was a historic event in Catholicism, but it was a historic event in Judaism as well when Rav Nisim stood by his principles and demanded recognition of the Jewish religion, of the the Rabbanut in Yerushalayim at that time. After 1967, Rav Nisim insisted to the Bezdin Hagadol, the main central judicial authority of the chief rabbinate, be transferred to Ira Atika, to the old city, as a statement of Israel's victory and attaining dominion in the old city of Yerushalayim. Rav Nisim, of course, was replaced by Rav Avadi Yosef in a number, uh, after a number of years of serving in, in the position of chief, of chief Rav. And Rav Nisim passed away on Tisha B'Av in 1981. A second volume of his chuvas was prepared by Rav Nisim himself, but it was published later on in in his lifetime. Today there is an edition that was printed in Tavshin Samechvav only a few years ago, a third edition, which has the two sections of Yein HaTov. It has also in it a letter that did not appear in the first edition, a letter from Rav Kook 
to Rav Nisim, where Rav Kook writes about Rav Nisim in glowing terms. Even though at that time Rav Nisim had not yet become the chief rabbi of Israel, he was still in the world of business, but Rav Kook wrote about him very, very praise, uh, very great praise about Haitsuva Mirabanan, Harav Echarif, Baki, Pirko Noah, Mishnasa Stura, Tamav Ubara, Morenu Harav Nisim Rachamim. And we can see from this letter and from other letters that appeared in the Sefer the approbation, the recognition of Rav Nisim as a, as a Tamid Chacham. It seems fairly obvious that there should be a difference in content between the first volume of Yein HaTov and the second volume. The first volume, after all, was written when Rav Nisim did not have an official position. He was not asked questions that related to the state of Israel. As much as he was, as he wrote articles that were printed in the Sefer, in Yein HaTov, of Masao Matan, discussion with Rabbanim who wrote articles. It seems that the, in some of the cases, the word of Shelot Shuvot is somewhat a misnomer, because it wasn't questions and answers that were really asked to him, but more halachic discussions that he took part in with, in writing in these journals. The exception of this is in the first volume, when he was asked questions from Baghdad. Apparently his reputation in Baghdad was also very great, even though he left Baghdad and moved to Eretz Israel, when perhaps partly because of that reason, he was asked to adjudicate in certain cases that occurred in Baghdad. One of the interesting questions that he was asked at that time was a case where people said that they could not answer Amen for a bracha on tefillin. The case, of course, was a person who has tefillin in a certain type of writing, what we would call the Ketav Ashuri. Another person has tefillin in a different type of ksav. Let's say one ksav would be used by Ashkenazim and one ksav used by Sephardim. So the question was asked, or actually the question was raised that people who put on tefillin of, let's say, Ksav Ashkenazi made a bracha, which it would seem that according to the people who use the Sephardi tefillin, this bracha would be on tefillin that are not valid, in which case it might be considered a bracha vatala. Would you be allowed to answer Amen? This question seems to have been posed to Rav Nisim from Baghdad. Somebody wrote, Mipo Irenu, from our city. I would assume it's from the city of Baghdad because we see other tshuvas that came to Rav Nisim from Baghdad. One of the discussions would have to be here are the tefillin indeed puzzle. Do you really think that one ksav vis-a-vis another ksav is puzzle? Rav Nisim and the person who asked the question quote a chidah. In Bircha Yosef, the chidah does say that such tefillin are indeed possible for the other, for the people who consider their ksav as more correct. 
This is quoted in the Chari Tshuva, and therefore this became part of the basis of the discussion. Rav Nisim himself said, but let's remember that the Rush did say that all tefillin are kosher. The tefillin written by uh, an Ashkenazi would be kosher for a tefillin written by a Sephardi. This Rush is quoted in the tour. The tour says in Simon, in Yeridea, Simon Reish Ayin Dalit, Kasav Adoni Avi HaRush, B'Tshuva, Tzura Saosios, Einon Shavas B'Chalam Dinos, Harbe Meshunek Savartzenu Miksavartazos, Ve'ein Pasul Bazeh Hashinu. The Rush said there are different ways of forming the letters. They're not the same in all the countries. And there are many great differences. But he said, it doesn't passel anything. It's all kosher. Except, you do have to have a tzuras ha'os. You have to have a beis look like a beis and not like a pei and a kaf look like a, a beis, a hay look like a hay and not like a chet, etc. But as long as the letters are recognized for what they are, the Rus said they're kosher. If that, in his, if that is true, the whole basis of the question falls off. It's true the Chidah passed such tefillin, but according to the tour, the, quoting the Rush, the tefillin are kosher for everybody. So the question is really moot. But Rav Nisim adds more arguments. He said, even if you would assume that tefillin b'ksav, one ksav are puzzle, they're only puzzle for the person who thinks that they're puzzle. Inasmuch as there are different opinions, for an Ashkenazi who puts on Ashkenazi tefillin, it's certainly kosher. So when he makes a bracha, it's certainly a, a, a proper bracha. So the Sephardi, although he would not put on those tefillin, he would not make a bracha, but he's answering amen to a bracha that was made properly. It's not a bracha levatala. And therefore, Rav, Rav Nizim claims, not only may he say amen, but he should say amen. And he quotes... The Chidah himself. The Chidah said that although the Chidah is the opinion that we quoted earlier, that Tefillin of an Ashkenazi are not kosher for Asfaradi, and vice versa, but the, the Chidah himself said if a person, for example, eats uh, Pasakum, a person does eat bread manufactured or baked by a by a nunju, but another person does not eat such bread. So can the person who eats who eats the bread make a bracha, and the person who does not eat such bread, who refrains from such a thing, could he make could he say amen? And the the uh, chidah says yes. He says it's only if it's usher for you yourself that you and you make a bracha, then it's problematic. But if you make the bracha on what you consider kosher, the chidah says it's fine. This particular example that Rav Nisim quotes could be argued with for two main reasons. One reason seems to be that the person who does not eat pasakum, does he really think pasakum is treif? Or does he think it's a chumrah on my part not to eat pasakum? Like, Similar to the question of people that we all need chalavakum. Now, this discussion might be a, an important discussion by itself, but I think that many, many people who are really careful about eating pasakum think it's a gzera that they accept, they feel they should be careful of it, but I don't think 
that they really think everything else is really treif. If I'm mistaken, then the raya of the chida is fine. If I'm correct, then the raya there is not a, a valid raya because the, we're talking the case where I think it's puzzle. In the, in the case of pasakum, I don't think it's treif. I just think I won't eat it. Another distinction that could be made was actually made in a letter written to Rav Nisim by Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank. Now let's remember, Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank was the Rav of Yerushalayim. And he wrote a letter to Rav Nisim, and of course he addressed him with the titles Hecharif Baki B'chadri Torah, Sinai V'okirharim, but without the title of Rav of any community. I think this was written before Rav Nisim was the chief rabbi of Israel. And but Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank wrote that he approves of the letter of Rav Nisim. He certainly agrees with the Psak that a Sephardi should answer Amin. Not only could he answer Amin, should answer Amin such a bracha. But however, with this particular issue, Rav Nisim felt, Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank felt that perhaps you could argue. Because we were discussing a birchas ha-mitzvah. The bracha on tefillin is a birchas ha-mitzvah. Now if I think those tefillin are possible, then I think that this bracha is possible. Is a bracha levatala. However, with food, it might be different. That's a birchas hananim, and a person is really supposed to make a bracha on any hanah that he gets from this world. In fact, one could question: Why don't you make a bracha on tray for food? Now, of course, if you'd ask me, you're not allowed to eat tray for food. But it sounds funny if a person decides I want to eat tray for food. I have some sort of a yitzhar that I must eat tray for food. Why really shouldn't he make a bracha? Just because he's doing one thing wrong, why should he do another thing wrong? So, the, there seem to be two answers for that. Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank says one answer would be that maybe it's not considered Hanoah. In order to say the person makes a bracha, you have to receive Hanoah from Olam Maybe a tray for Hanoah is not considered Hanoah. I think you could discuss and debate this point. The second issue of course, is based on the Gemara, based on Tanakh, that Hashem, a person who steals something, a person who does something wrong, makes a bracha, it's a despicable act before God. Uh, you're taking something and you're doing something to rebel against God and you, you think you're being from about it, you think you're making a bracha. So it's really inappropriate to make a bracha on tray for food. Here, this, this argument would not hold water. The person who's eating, who's about to eat Pasakum, he thinks you're allowed to eat Pasakum. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. He doesn't think it's, he's doing an act which is repugnant to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And therefore, it would only be appropriate to make a bracha, even if indeed it's treif. But he thought that it's kosher. And he thought his action is fitting and proper before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, So it would be correct for him to make a bracha. Therefore, for somebody to answer Amen, would seem to be perfectly legitimate. Although, as I said, Rav Nisim wrote the tshuva and used this as one of his arguments, Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank said, yes, I approve of the entire tshuva, and I paskin, as Rav, as Rav Nisim did, that you do answer Amen. Nevertheless, you can argue with some of the points that Rav Nisim made. This is an example of a tshuva that appeared in the first volume where, the, as I said, the issues are sometimes questions from Baghdad, sometimes Torah articles. The second issue has, the second volume, has already 
questions that are more relevant to the state of Israel and sometimes to historical events that occurred in that time. I've mentioned before, and I find it interesting, that we can see certain tshuvos that from which we can derive the history of the times, we understand issues that came up in that particular century. Of course, in the 20th century, the major medical advances, the technological advances, Israeli economy advances, security issues in Israel, police, all that takes a great uh, place in the tshuvas of the 20th century. But one of the events that, in in a sense, was a turning point in the Israeli understanding of the rabbinate was a time when it was decided that the chief rabbi should be retired or retire himself, as the case may be. Traditionally, in Judaism, rabbanim, who were appointed to be uh, the rav of a city, had a, had lifetime contracts. To ask, sometimes people left whenever, for what reason, one reason or another, and sometimes the community really wanted to get to you know somehow get rid of a certain rav. But in general, rabbanim I think lasted their kept their rabbanis until until Me'av Esrim. In the if we remember, Rav Cook was the chief rav until he passed away. Rav Herzog, who took his place, was the chief rav until he passed away. But then came a time when the Rabbanim were, the decision was made that the Rabbanim should retire at a certain age. And today, if I'm not mistaken, the law in Israel is that a chief rabbi serves for 10 years and then he must leave his position. This, as I said, was a hotly discussed issue. Rav Nisim wrote a tshuva about such a, a, a question without pointing out to whom the tshuva was written or when the tshuva was written. And the question was, a person, can we force a person to retire because he became old? Now, the first source that should be discussed in this connection is the Rambam in Hilchos Sanhedrin. The Rambam says, based on the Gemara, that you do not appoint a, a, a really old person, a really old, I mean, Zakein Muflag, that's the word of the Rambam, or someone who has no children. And the Gemara gives the reason for it because they have, the Rambam gives the reason for it because Yeshla Machzarius. Apparently, the compassion and empathy that should be felt by a Dayan is no longer there in a, in such a person. The question, how old is a Zakin Muflag, is an, is a discussion by itself. But of course, the text said, Ein Moshivim Melech. Ein Moshivim we don't appoint a person. But what would happen if he was already involved in the position and he had the position? Does that mean we should remove him from his position because of his age? There is a sefer quoted by Rav Nisim called the Me'il Shmuel. I frankly had not heard of the sefer before, who wrote, who had raised this issue. And he did not resolve it, 
but raise the issue. However, in the Tshuva Sarajba, apparently the questionnaire, the, someone asked the Rajba the exact question, and the Rajba's answer was, Kol davar shuhu, davar sh, kol shu talui basiba. Kol shiyeshna la siba, inyan nigracha siba. If it would just be a law that you can't have an old man in Sanhedrin, then I don't know exactly if you could remove him. But if there is a reason for it, if the reason applies, then we should follow such a law. And he said the cause of old age that the Gemara says is because we're afraid that he lost his sympathy, his empathy, compassion. And if that would be true, he said it would be like a psul guf something that applies physically to the person, not a psul guf like uh, being blind or something like that, but it would be an inherent psul. And he thinks that the, the Rajba says, yes, you should remove him. And he quotes as well Rabbeinu Yonah, who said he can't be a, a, a can't be a judge in such a case, and therefore he should be removed. However, the Rambam in Hilchos Klei Amikdash has a general rule: Ein moridim We have a general rule that you cannot remove somebody from a position of authority within Judaism unless somehow. Uh, to put it in slang, he messed up. The uh, Radvaz also has a tshuva like that. You do not take a person down from a position of Kedusha, whether it be in the Sanhedrin, or even the Chazana Knesset, unless he did some sort of an Avera publicly. But this would imply that you should not remove a person because of Ein Moridim. So, Rav Nisim discusses this issue, pro and con, and finally he says that it seems to be that since there is a good reason, it's not considered that you remove him from a position of authority. Without a good reason, you really should not do it. But if there is a good reason, as, as such as our case, you should really, you could remove him. But then, Rav Nisim raises another issue. What we've discussed so far is Dine Nefashos. He would not be, a, could not be a judge in cases which involve capital punishment, corporal punishment. But what about monetary cases? Do you need the same compassion and empathy? After all, there are always two people discussing so you don't, it's not that you don't have compassion. One person's compassion is another person's ve- uh, vengeance. So why would he not be allowed to continue as a judge in Dine Mamonos? In fact, Rav Nisim proved from certain sources that for Dine Mamonos, you would not take, remove a person from, from the court just because of getting old. The only reason that Rav Nisim advanced that you could remove such a person is because perhaps forgetfulness and the lack of cognitive ability is affected somewhat by age. And in fact, he quotes an Arachayim. The Arachayim HaKadosh on Parshas Vayechi said, we see ourselves, now this was written hundreds of years ago, that when a person becomes older, his acumen somehow slips 
And even an older, per, uh, even a wise person cannot deal with the issues of Torah and does not understand as well as a young person. So, of course, one should remember that the Gemara does say the opposite. The Gemara says, Zikne Torah data mishyasheves aleim, that your, somehow your mind becomes clearer of mind of a Tamit Chacham. But, Rav Nisim does say that somehow the empirical evidence does support the opinion of the Arachayim. And therefore, Rav Nisim says that it's very difficult for a person to lose his position of authority. In fact, he quotes a statement that if we remember the biography of Rav Nisim, I think it's very, very interesting. He quotes Avast Rav Nasan that says, that anyone who is told to enter a position of authority, of greatness, very often uh, I would do, do not want a position. Uh, but some once you're in that position and somebody tells you to leave it, then I really feel even worse. It's hard to raise yourself to a position to such a position of gedula, but the same is it's difficult to get into such a position to feel that you want such a position. It's hard to go down. From it. But Rav Nisim says, even though that's true, this is not called Malim Bakodesh Veinlo Maridim, and really no one should take umbrage at being removed from such a, a, a position. In fact, he said that a person reaching such age should himself realize that he should step down voluntarily rather than wait for a uh, public opinion or some law to remove him from office. This, of course, is very interesting because in terms of the historical development of the chief rabbinate, you see the chief rabbi himself. Now, I don't know if this was written before he, while he was the chief rabbi, maybe it was later on after he was chief rabbi, was written about future chief rabbis. In any case, the tshuva says that I think it's, fine to remove a person and the person should step down but Rav Nisim did suggest an age an age of 70 years old and then he said as an interesting aside but of course the community should realize that this Tamil Chacham who has served the community should be yet supported by the community and he should be treated with respect after he left his position I don't think that that particular line applied to Rav Nisim. I don't think he needed the support of the community, but nevertheless, it's an interesting point to make in treating the the person who does leave the position of chief rabbi. I, so we saw um, a tshuva that was written after the establishment of the State of Israel uh, when it seems to be referring to the historical context of the chief rabbinate, and I thought it was very interesting that Rav Nisim himself approved of a law or suggestion, at least, that a person remove himself from the position of authority when he reaches a, a certain age.